We simply cannot have a conversation about shaping a better future for the world without placing women at the center of this conversation. How do we tell the positive stories? And how do we use those to elevate and move into a future we want to see? Journeys that we all take as individuals. It's the diversity in that thought process and that triggering initial thought process that brings about results. The ladies not for turning. A hundred years of women making their mark in Parliament. Doctor Mohammed Suleiman Al Jasser, Rais Majmua Al Bank Al Islamiy Al Tanmiya. فليتفضل معاريه مشكورا. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming His Excellency Dr. Muhammad Suleiman Al Jasser, Chairman of the Islamic Development Bank Group. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والصلاة والسلام على أفضل الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا ونبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين Your Highnesses, Your Excellencies, Distinguished Participants السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته It is a great honor and privileged to participate in this Eighth World Government Summit at the invitation of His Highness Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum. I would like to congratulate His Highness and the UAE government on convening this exceptional global event, which coincides this year with another no less successful event, Expo 2020 in this metropolitan city. For the last 45 years, the Islamic Development Bank has had a solid track record of serving its 57 member countries, spanning four continents, Africa, Asia, Europe, and Latin America. We support the socio-economic development of our member countries and improve the quality of life for around 1.8 billion people worldwide or one out of every five citizens of the world. All our member countries are developing countries, while about 21 of our 57 members are classified as least developed countries. Ladies and gentlemen, the fourth industrial revolution is reshaping our world. Digital technologies and new tools have opened new vistas for economic and social development. Because of its exponential contributions to productivity and efficiency, the world has experienced an accelerating transition towards a, dig a digital economy. Here, ICTs play an increasing role in producing, consuming, and exchanging goods and services. This has undoubtedly broadened the spectrum of opportunities and potential for human advancement by fostering ever higher productivity and innovation. Amid the challenges brought about by the ongoing global pandemic, our role as a development bank has become more crucial than ever. While the supply chain, uh, while the supply chain in transportation and trade was stalled in various parts of the world, reinventions of people's living never stopped. It was through the digital transformation that many people sustained in their social professional lives in the middle of stringent lockdowns. Indeed, digital transformation was already underway even before the pandemic and the lockdowns that forced people to work remotely. The pandemic has underlined the crucial role of digital technologies in keeping economies and societies afloat. They greatly helped maintain business continuity, supported students in education, and provided access to certain health services through tel telehealth. This was not only present in private transactions, 
but also in public service delivery, allowing for the streamlining of e-government. Although the pandemic has challenged humanity in many ways, it has also paved the way for a digital transformation that serves the socioeconomic needs of the broad population. A favorable opportunity stemming from the challenges is that, is that communications, trade, services, and many economic activities have increasingly moved online, thereby facilitating access. World governments can lead by accelerating the mainstreaming of technologies, such as network sensors, artificial intelligence, internet of things, machine learning, data analytics, real-time decision-making, and transactive, transactive energy systems for efficient public service delivery. Ladies and gentlemen, since its inception in 1975, the Islamic Development Bank has supported digital transformation. It has been supporting the ICT sector through standalone ICT projects and as a supplement in other sectors, such as education, health, and agriculture for various operations. The IDB has strategically posi posi positioned itself to serve its member countries for post-COVID-19 recovery, driving green economic growth, tackling poverty, and building resilience. Since digital transformation is considered an integral part of this new strategic orientation, we strive to leverage technology tools to build a future that promotes connectivity, competitiveness, and innovation in our member states. It goes without saying that we cannot do it alone. A coalition of the brave will have to be formed to bring about such transformation. Distinguished delegates, over one billion new internet users have been added globally during the last five years. Yet close to half the world's population, over 3.7 billion, does not have access to the internet. While nearly 87% of people in developed countries use the internet, only 44% in developing countries have access, and the situation is even worse in the least developed countries. According to a study conducted by the International Telecommunications Union, the ITU, an estimated $428 billion is needed to connect the remaining offline population to the internet by 2030. The digital divide is also within countries. While a mobile broadband network covers virtually almost all urban areas globally, worrying gaps in connectivity and internet access persists in rural areas. Globally, 72% of households in urban areas have access to the internet at home, almost twice as much as in rural areas. However, with many essential services pushed online during the COVID-19 pandemic, a threat remains that those without broadband internet access could be left behind in terms of economic and social development. proceed with our panel discussion. Transformational leadership. Scaling new heights for the future of humanity is at the core of inclusive and sustainable development for humanity to reach unprecedented heights. So how do we move from base camp to the summit from here? Please welcome Ms. Marie Elka Pangester, Managing Director of Development Policy and Partnerships, World Bank and former Minister of Tourism and Creative Economy of the Republic of Indonesia to deliver a brief remark on transformational leadership. Ms. Pangestu, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Excellencies, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Pleasure for me uh, to be with all of you uh, today. I think the previous speakers have actually set up the scene very well. And we all know about the 17 uh, Sustainable Development Goals, which is very much in line, obviously, with the World Bank Group's 
vision of eradicating uh, poverty and shared pro prosperity in a sustainable manner. And you know, we all know that the SDGs is really a blueprint for our common future. Uh, and it is really the future that we want to collectively build for generations to come. In uh, many of us in this room, I can see Mahmoud, I can see many others in the room, we've actually been at this for a while. I started my journey with MDGs, review of the MDGs with Amina, Mohammed, and Jeffrey Sachs, and then the whole long process to get to SDG 17. Cybersecurity problems. Excellencies, ladies and gentlemen, let me conclude by being a bit audacious. I will claim that bridging the digital divide can help humanity reap the following benefits. First, creating quality jobs for youth and women. Second, expanding educational opportunities through e-education and e-learning. Third, allowing e-health to be provided to larger segments of the population without the need to travel and at a fraction of the cost. Fourth, enhancing the efficiency of world governments through e-government services, thus reducing trips to government offices. Fifth, strengthening e-commerce within and cross borders. Sixth, enabling micro and small and medium enterprises to expand their reach through the expansion of e-finance and fintech. Seventh, capitalizing on the, on the demographic dividend of a large youthful population by creating a large ICT service industry. Eighth, narrowing the knowledge gap intranationally and internationally, thus reducing the income gap, which is stifling development in many of our member countries. I warned you, it is audacious. But with reflection, these benefits are within reach if we put our hearts and minds into them. So let us at least try. Ladies and gentlemen, I take this opportunity to reiterate my thanks and gratitude to His Highness and the esteemed government of the United Arab Emirates for their outstanding efforts to organize such an august forum to exchange creative ideas and innovative solutions to meet the challenges facing governments in their quest to achieve inclusive and sustainable development والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته at it is, for instance, I just take education as, a, as an example, SDG 4, which is, has a lot of sub-targets and uh, targets and sub-targets. So uh, I think Catherine Russell mentioned the learning poverty. So we focus on learning poverty as one indicator which governments can understand, which is the ability of a 10-year-old to read simple text. Right now, it's 63% uh, of the world population. And then you, you can have different countries will have their, their measures uh, using our human capital uh, measures. So it, it gives you the, the entry point to the other targets, put it that way. But it's an easy way for you to interact with the government and then try to ad outline what are the po uh, policies that are needed. I think the second uh, uh, learning is that it has to be a concerted effort uh, between governments, uh, local and uh, uh, central governments, the business sector, academia, civil society, 
and the whole of society. So a citizen-based uh, approach, which includes women, youth, uh, and different uh, uh, parts of the society, it has to be inclusive, is really uh, what it is about, to translate the development goals into strategic uh, plans and operational activities. So you have to make it bottom up. You can't have it top down. I think this is something that uh, we have been all uh, understanding and understand the differences uh, between uh, the, the people in your society. And uh, really uh, allowing citizens the chance to voice their opinion and get involved in the process will be much, much more effective than adopting a top-down approach. Leaders need to understand uh, that their community, understand their communities, and allow for effective feedback loops, uh, which will help to implement the SDGs. Uh, and I think listening is, is something that I've learned is, you know, listening is listening, but listening and sensing and understanding what that community is, uh, is feeling and uh, is concerned about is something leaders really, actually, you have to, to work at it to really know uh, uh, what it is, uh, the type of leadership that is inclusive, collaborative, and reflects a process that is deeply rooted in combining the local and global values and ethics to deliver what is needed. I'll give you a concrete example. As a Minister of Trade, one of my, my jobs was to uh, revitalize the traditional markets. And prior to that, it was very much physical, you know, rebuild, and it was rebuild it physically, cookie-cutter approach. But the moment I started listening to the women in the markets, who are the ma majority of the traders in the market, you start understanding the needs, including how to outfit the bathrooms, childcare centers, and developing their ability uh, to access financial markets and to be able to become uh, entrepreneurs. So we build that in into the uh, revitalization of the markets. Another element that is important is trust. Trust has always been important in determining development outcomes. During the pandemic, we just saw how important it is to create trust between government and the people. To achieve the SDGs, leadership at both national and organizational levels must adopt a leadership style that engenders, engenders a sense of trust through open and honest two-way communication. And I think this is hopefully uh, all skills that leaders really can, uh, can uh, learn and uh, learn to listen, really listen, and that ability to correct course. I think uh, sometimes you think the policy should be like this. Once you implement it, you find that it's actually not right. Then you have to be able to correct course. And uh, I think finally, strong leadership is about a coherent implementation plan and engagement of all uh, stakeholders uh, to be able to achieve uh, the development goals at national and international levels. And really, this is, uh, I think, the approach that is being championed uh, in the UAE. And I really want to thank the organizers for putting together this uh, really inclusive panel uh, to embody the new transforma transformational leadership that will be required to deliver the SDGs. Let me just close on, on kind of the, the earlier point I made about the interrelationship and interconnectedness of the SDG goals, which requires you as a leader when you are implementing policy to think in an integrated way uh, because it's just so many uh, targets and goals. So, uh, and as we are facing, uh, responding to the crisis, think of the policies that you implement should be implemented in an integrated way to achieve more than one goal. I'll give you an example of mangroves, just because it was mentioned uh, just then. I know restoration of mangroves uh, in my country, Indonesia, and I think in a number of countries, has been one of the programs as a fiscal stimulus to create cash flow work uh, for the people uh, living uh, in that area. A lot of them are fishermen or, or, or villages that are uh, uh, at the coastal area. It's a triple win. You provide cash flow work, which improves the livelihood of the people who have uh, been hit by the pandemic and slower growth uh, coming out of it. Second, uh, you are replanting mangroves to improve the ecosystem for uh, future uh, uh, livelihood, whether it's the aquaculture or tourism. And third, uh, you are uh, uh, addressing the climate uh, issue as well. So it's a triple win. So this is the way that innovative policy making needs to happen. And for that, leadership 
needs to be uh, on the ground, listen, understand, and look for opportunities, creative opportunities, to deliver win-win uh, for the people. I thank you, and I hope uh, we will have an exciting panel upcoming. Thank you, Ms. Bangestu. Your speech did wonderful in highlighting all the innovation as well as flexibility in policy and definitely does coincide with our theme of transformational leadership. Distinguished guests, please welcome our ministerial panelists onto the stage. His Excellency Sihir al mazrawi Minister of Energy and Infrastructure of the United Arab Emirates. Her Excellency Rosemarie Huare. Minister for Local Government and Community Affairs, the Republic of Seychelles. <laughs> Dr. Mahmoud Mohiddin, Executive Director of the IMF and UN Special Envoy on Financing SDGs. <laughs> the moderator of the panel, Mr. Rodolf Lomier, a partner at Kearney, where he leads Kearney's National Transformational Institutes and the International Affairs Pro Platform of our Government and Economic Development Practice. Thank you. Ah, there we go. I have a famously loud voice, so I couldn't really tell. Um, it's really an honor to be sharing this circular stage with the three leaders that you see before you. Um, it's also just an honor to be in this session today doing humanity's work. Um, I hope for all the young ones in this room that they've had the chance to experience what I know you have, each of you, and you now embody, which is truly transformational leadership. You know it when you feel it. In this country, we're privileged to have a great depth of it. It's a field of order, it's a field of direction, and it's a field of action. People know where they're going, they're motivated to go there, they're cared for, and they're focused on results. Even more rare in transformational leadership is a culture of leadership, where it's not just one great person, but it pervades everyone. And I think we can agree that to achieve the agenda for sustainable development, we have the tools, we have the technologies. This world is blessed so richly in innovation and solutions. Then what's the gap? And I think the gap that we have to fill, that which we have to harness is transformational leadership. And we're privileged to have three transformational leaders with us here today. Um, of course, Your Excellency, Suhail Muzahi, a pleasure to be, have you with us today. Thank you so much. Um, Mr. Mahmoud Mohideen, thank you so much for being here as well. And Her Excellency, Rosemarie Wajo, it's a pleasure to have you. Um, if I may, Your Excellency, I'd like to begin with a question for you. The UAE has made tremendous progress towards achieving the agenda for sustainable development, and in particular, remarkable progress towards net zero by 2050. Tell us about that journey, and tell us about the kind of leadership that it has required and will require going forward. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, and it's uh, great to be with this distinguished leaders. If I may start with a story, and because that, I think, sets how our government and how we are thinking. Back in the 1995, uh, late His Highness Sheikh Zayed, the founder of the United Arab Emirates, was one day in the desert and he saw a smoke. As you know, we're producing oil and gas, and flaring is part of what you do to clean up the well. And he was... Uh, he instructed that we should have a plan to stop flaring. I don't want to see a smoke. So from that initiative, that started the zero flaring initiative in our national oil company back in the 90s when, when companies all over the world were burning natural gas just to get rid of it. We've been incentivized. And he said, I would like to save that gas. Don't burn the gas. And it was costly, and we had even struggled with our international oil companies to convince them we need to spend in zero flaring policy. That cascaded down to the different policies. And back in 2007, we started thinking about diversifying our energy mix away from natural gas, even though we have plenty of it. And we started our first 
or the region's first peaceful nuclear program. Today, we recently celebrated the, the, the uh, putting on stream the second, the second uh, power, uh, power plant. Uh, each one of them is 1,400 uh, megawatt, and they are going to transform the way we are consuming energy because they, are, they, are, they come with zero, zero flaring. And that's when we even started to, to, to put, uh, driven by our leadership, we want a long-term strategy. No, everyone was talking 2025, 20, 2030, and uh, my ministry was chartered to put the probably the world-first long-term strategy looking at sustainability back in 2014. We start working, 2017 launched it, and we're targeting a reduction of 70% of CO2 by the year 2050, diversifying to 50% of our energy sources from renewable or green forms of energy. And that's led us to, the, to today where we are, where we are also influencing more than 40 countries doing projects of sustainability in those countries. So it starts from the leadership, and yes, we follow because we believe it's within the DNA, I, I would say, of this, of this nation. Thank you so much for that. It certainly is. Uh, having lived here for eight years, um, even my children are aware of that. They go elsewhere and they say, why are things so slow when they go back home to their home countries? Here's where things happen first. It's just the truth. A follow-up question, if I may, just looking farther into the future. Um, before the pandemic, the UAE made some very bold decisions about its digital infrastructure, its medical systems, a whole host of investments that at the time were not obvious, but which paid huge dividends during the pandemic. What is the next frontier of transformational leadership in this country, in your view, looking out to the 2030 period? We are just at the tip of the iceberg of using data. And we believe in data. And now we are putting in place uh, data gathering. We're having simulations using artificial intelligence uh, to, to use that data to uh, react quickly, quicker than the human brain or the human beings. And uh, we are using, in, using it in every form. We have an aspiration to reduce, we're talking about SDGs, and we have an aspiration within the country to reduce the consumption per capita and change and transform the way we build our cities in the future to save up to 50%, 40 to 50% of the water and electricity. And we cannot do that if we are not using this enormous data. So what is coming is we will use more of that data, we will establish partnerships, and we, will, we, embark, we are embarking on a journey of diversification uh, of the lifestyle, I would say, not only diversification of energy. We need to change our behaviors. If we're serious about SDGs, we need to consume less. We need from food to energy to water. More, more population is coming, and if we just continue the way we are behaving as human beings, I don't think it's gonna be sustainable. It's good to dream of the SDGs, but the action is to reduce and reuse the circular economy, uh, and, uh, and that's what we are doing, and that's what's coming in the UAE. Thank you so very much. If I may, Mr. Muhaldin, turn to you, dear sir, and I thank you, Your Excellency, for those insights. Um, in implementing the agenda for sustainable development, you have a front row seat uh, I should disclose to the entire audience that I'm a passionate fan of the IMF. I really am. Uh, I've had many friends who've worked there, and I think it's doing such incredibly important work. So you have a front row seat to the challenges facing countries in achieving them. What do you see as the most important challenges countries face in achieving it, and where are the opportunities for acceleration? All right. Thank you so much. Uh, it's great to see a fan of the IMF. Um, uh, which is not really very common in many places, uh, but um, I'm representing a group of, uh, of countries on the board, uh, including having the honor 
of representing my home country, Egypt, the UAE, and others. And um, uh, the IMF is very much, as you said, in the, in the forefront of the, in dealing with major challenges, including with a major um, area of uh, concern and disruption related to debt and debt management. Uh, let me just get that in a, in a context, because being here today in this gathering, being reminded with the excellent speeches earlier, including by the president of the UNICEF, telling us that uh, the UE is hosting us here um, uh, since 2016 um, on the SDGs in action. I remember it like yesterday, just one year after launching the SDGs, saying what we should really be doing at the World Bank. I was at the World Bank at the time. Um, so we talked about data, His Excellency just mentioned that. Finance for investment in human capital, in infrastructure, and in resilience that includes climate change, and how to master implementation in the field. Linking that to uh, the excellent speeches, again, including by His Excellency, the President of Seychelles, it's great to see a President speaking the SDG language, SDG 5, SDG 17, 13, and the rest. And then in the room was the President of Colombia, and His Excellency here, the Prime Minister of uh, Rwanda. So how can I connect all of that together and trying to answer your question? It's about the leadership here in dealing with major challenges, with partnerships, with organizations and institutions like IMF, uh, the World Bank and others, that we can really deal with the challenges facing the SDGs. Rwanda, everybody knows, it went through major difficulties, but now it is being looked at as a country of hope transformation, you, uh, it finds solutions based on research and development, digital transformation, major investment in human capital. Then you go to Colombia, a country that had been suffering from civil war, disruption, using SDGs as benchmarks, linking its activities with the IMF and the World Bank, taking the OECD um, accession criteria, and now becoming a member of an OECD. That was not really thought of when we were here back in 2016 talking about which country will be lead, leading the, uh, uh, the road forward in its region or, um, or globally. In Seychelles, I have been working hard with colleagues trying to find solutions for dealing with investments and how to finance investments, especially that we're all facing that challenges around the world. And that cannot really be blamed alone on COVID-19 and cannot be blamed alone on the recent hostilities in the Ukraine. It came actually through a report from the World Bank that in 2019 that the world is facing the fourth wave of debt challenges. And we know that the previous um, uh, waves, each one of them ended with a crisis. So it's basically how to prevent a crisis, and this is the role of the IMF. Seychelles provided a very uh, pioneering solution through one of the first debt-to-nature swaps. It's not very big in terms of size, but the model in the how to protect uh, the marine industry, how to protect uh, the reefs, the nature, the, um, and basically bring the best minds from the country, it's really very much um, could be bold of me to speak in the presence of Excellency, the President and his ministers um, in the room. But we are taking the examples coming from Seychelles, from Belize, from Costa Rica, to tell many countries how they can really deal with the challenges financing the SDGs, how to deal with SDG 13. I've just been appointed a few weeks ago as a global champion uh, for um, uh, climate, representing COP27 uh, leadership in Egypt. So um, we're trying to find solutions. It's not just, you can always spend time talking about problems that how to design solutions. Back to 2016, again, um, again um, I was on the stage uh, with the DSG of the United Nations, Her Excellency, the Minister of International Cooperation. And before going to the stage, I received a call from uh, my daughter. And that's why I always tell the minister I cannot forget his name because my daughter's name is Suhail and his name, of course, is Suhail. So she said, well, I decided that I'm dropping economics. I'm an economist. So I go, uh, 
what went wrong. He said, well, economists are good in describing problems, as I'm trying to do now, perhaps. But I'm going to be an engineer. Okay, congratulations for that, because engineers are about providing solutions. She was, she was 18 at the time. She provided this kind of a challenge, basically about how to design solutions to the world that is full of problems. We have data, so we, we use technology now. Mr. Abdullah Luta here led a very important summit, preparing us to understand better how we deal with the 17 goals, with their 169 targets, and more than 230 indicators. When he did this kind of work, the work on artificial intelligence and using big data systems was still in its infant days, but he led the world in, in this direction. On issues related to finance and design, we can brag about lack of finance for investments, that we are facing that crisis, but basically how to bring some of the solutions that went beyond the lab kind of experiments into implementation, like in Seychelles and Belize in other countries, to deal with this big potential disruption. If we have widespread debt crisis, we'll be derailed. And that's why the IMF comes here nicely by providing solutions. Debt swaps is one of the areas that we are considering. But as you know, the IMF was part of the DSSI, the Debt Service Suspen Suspension Initiative. It worked hard as well in delaying or postponing some of the uh, due uh, installments for repayments. But we need to do more. And uh, we need to do more while we see, unfortunately, I'm just not going to be politically correct what I'm going to say, that the G7 is very much preoccupied with the hostilities in the Ukraine. The G20, good luck with Indonesia in, host, um, uh, in hosting it now. But again, great deal of disruptions. But what I'm going to go back to here, that there are some fundamental, strong institutions owned by the membership that is basically representing every country in the world, like the, U, uh, the UN system, supported institutions, the uh, IMF, the World Bank, that we need to use them uh, for the better, to provide solutions, not just to describe the problem that we are uh, trying to solve. I can't thank you enough for that. I mean, every single thing you just said was solutions. So you were hard an economist, but thank you so much for that. A follow-up, if I may. By the way, amazing that you mentioned your daughter. My, I have three, and one of mine, exactly the same choice. I think we're seeing in the new generation an obsession with making a real decisive difference in the world and not just talking about things, which is fantastic. A follow-up question, if I may. This is a challenging time in the global economy for many reasons. As you said, even preceding both of the crisis with respect to inflation, but the ongoing need to drive growth at the sort of incomplete, certainly uneven recovery. So the financial landscape is challenging. Um, what do you see as the key progress being made with respect to financing specifically and achieving the SDGs in that context? Right. So talked about debt to be a challenge before COVID. The impact of the uh, Ukraine um, uh, crisis on food, fuel, and financial ch uh, challenges are huge. I would add, coming from farming background as well, the impact on fertilizers. So you don't please, uh, to be inclusive, talk, talk about four Fs, not just three. F uh, fuel, food, finance, and fertilizers. And here is basically about the long-term, possible long-term impact of this kind of disruption on agricultural production, on food, and the whole ecosystem related to that. One thing I can really see on the role of leadership, especially coming from the non-state access, from the business community, from the local community, and it's great to have the minister responsible for that because we see a great deal of transformational changes coming through localization of the SDGs. Here in the, in the Emirates, we had a couple of workshops on issues related to localization, not just at the federal level, but how each of the Emirates could really have its own edge and its own comparative advantage realized and provide, uh, provide solutions. So w when we can really get these kind of, um, of changes in, in such disrupted world, it's inevitable really that we need really to have some sort of immediate short-term kind of solutions. We cannot wait until 2030 to get SDGs fulfilled for each country, especially with the trend that we're talking about. Great that there are efforts towards the net zero in 2050, but again, many countries are not really achieving that kind of target if you see the continuation of the emissions and we are deviating from the 2030 targets. 
But now to deal with the issues, I think here global solidarity, taking SDG 17 to its positive limits that we need really to avoid a food crisis and famine um, uh, challenges. The Horn of Africa is suffering from major um, uh, problems, including 18 million people are facing hunger. So I think it could be really very much in our responsibility for those who can afford supporting the World Food Programme and the United Nations to deal with that, not to wait until some better farming crops are going to be uh, with us. We need to deal, and there are great initiatives by the UE in issues related to securing energy and supporting energies, energy for those who need it. And then everybody, including with the IMF, and in a few weeks we'll be having the IMF and the World Bank spring meetings, we need to work together to prevent a debt crisis, because if we have a debt crisis of the magnitude that we saw before, all of what we're talking about today is going to be really redundant, because the um, business community with governments are going to be very much preoccupied by something else. Thank you so much. I've just gotten a note, Your Excellency, that you may need to depart quite soon. No surprise in the world we're living in. So I wanted to, if I may, Your Excellency Waho, I'm going to come back to you in one moment. I'd like to just give you the chance, sir. I believe you have to go. Am I right? Have you gotten the same message? <laughs> it's unfortunate to continue, but uh, uh, I'm, I'm grateful for everyone who is here focusing uh, on the SDGs and helping us. We have learned a lot from this, uh, from this uh, engagement, and uh, we are adapting and changing our strategy, trying to, to uh, tackle all of them. But I agree with what Mahmoud said. Food is, is becoming a, a security of, uh, of either millions of people could die if the prices stays where they are. So we need, uh, now the priority is we need to think holistically and all of the SDGs need to be tackled, but also we need to limit the crisis. We need to stop uh, the, uh, this crisis that is happening and incentivize the two parties to calm because what's in stake is not only lives, what's in stake is raising the prices of everything that is going to derail us from, from achieving the SDG goals. And uh, with that, I will leave you. And um, apologies again, I would love to stay, but I have to go uh, for, uh, for another commitment. Thank you very much. The ladies not for turning. A hundred years of women making their mark in Parliament and shaping our legal landscape. Times. Anyway, uh, I just want to say that your your role is particularly interesting, and as Mr. Mahoudin so articulately said, in so many ways, it's very easy to make policy pronouncements. But when it comes to actually making change, it is always, by almost definition, at the local level. That's where the change is ultimately needed. And that's where this transformational leadership that is required has to have its teeth, has to have its traction. And that's, of course, where you serve. And so I would just like to understand, how does the ministry actively contribute to the very hard work the Seychelles is doing on this? What is your role, the ministry's role within it, and the kind of leadership involved in that? Uh, thank you. Um, as my president said earlier on, we living on, on a small island, we, ha we are passionate about preserving, preserving our country, the environment, we just, because we are small. So it's in our DNA and the way we've been brought up as well reflects that. Um, how not to waste, how to keep places clean, how to be kind to the environment, etc. But when I became um, a minister 17 months ago, yeah. When I, when I became a minister 17 months ago, I had to inspire the team that um, I, I had to work with, I, I am currently working with. I had to inspire the team. I had to empower them. 
so that they would understand the, the, the plans of the new government um, in office, so that they would be on the same page as what we wanted to deliver. And um, once I had um, assessed the situation and I realized there was a willingness for this, I then also understood I needed to um, speak to my colleague ministers because it was as important for them as well to understand the importance of the role of the Ministry of Local Government and Community Affairs because we are the ones who have the, the resources and the vehicle to cascade any message that government wants known to the communities. So um, once I had established these two um, priorities, um, I then, of course, had to um, take charge of, of making sure of um, that we undertook a change program because it's pointless me as minister having my views. I had to get the team on board. I had to get their buy-in. And for that, you need, um, you need to inspire, you need to empower, you need to train, you need to encourage, you need to keep an open line of communication. And when you do that, which is part of my leadership style, when you do that, um, you do get their buy-in, you do get their, um, their commitment. And because they themselves realize that if I'm better equipped, if I'm more motivated, if I'm committed, if there is a, a good change process, then they can deliver better at district level because the Seychelles is small. Um, I have 27 districts under my responsibility, um, scattered over three islands. So it takes a lot of effort and teamwork to keep everybody connected with the ministry. And the change was throughout, from the ministry to district level. And then once everybody is on the same page, then the work flows. And then when you earn the respect of your other colleague ministers and other agencies and departments, then everybody understands that this is the vehicle, this is the, the way that messages get through to communities and districts. So if I may give you a couple of examples, um, for example, um, the Ministry of Environment has always promoted um, protecting the environment, um, preserving um, the environment, etc. So when they came up with the idea of um, using a theme of using recycling material to decorate the districts um, for the Christmas uh, period, we stepped in because they had the idea, but we had the resources, you see. So together, we were very closely with the Minister of Environment. We went out into the communities. We shared this idea. We galvanized people together, the young, the old, the middle-aged, everybody. Artists came out to help. Um, the youth um, people with, with um, um, high-riser trucks came to, to, to put things up in the trees. But everything was recyclable. There was nothing bought new. It was basically making use of what was already in the environment. So that was one of the success stories. Um, sometimes as the, minister, as the Ministry for Local Government, we sit on both sides. For example, um, we, we, sit, um, we work very closely with um, the Department of Risk Management because we have the intelligence at local level um, that we can guide them with the potential dangers at district level, you know, be it a tree, be it a boulder, be it a fire hazard, et cetera, et cetera. So we sit on the, on the committees for the uh, preventing of this, of disasters um, and risk management. <clears throat> but on the other hand, when in the unfortunate event that a disaster or does happen, we are the frontliners as well. We are there to offer the safety net. We are there on the ground helping the victims whilst the other agencies get on with their work. If it's a fire, it's a fire brigade. If it's um, a, a boulder or trees falling over, then the, the contractors come in and do their thing. But we are there as part of the, as 
one of the main frontliners, helping the victims, rehabilitating them, providing them with food, making sure they have shelter on the night, giving them, them providing the psychological support that comes um, um, from going through such a trauma. So we are very much part of helping the community and getting things done at that level. Thank you so very much. We need to conclude now in the next minute or so, but I don't want to do that without letting you have each of your final word, a quick one. <laughs> you have a, you're surrounded, we're in a, we, we sit in a circle, surrounded by a circle of leaders. What is one takeaway you would really like them to keep in mind as we think about achieving the SDGs through 2030? From a leadership perspective, what is one thing you'd like to leave them with? Please, each of you, and then we'll close the session. Please, Mr. Muhadir. Right, I'll be very quick and um, again um, um, thanking the UE for um, um, th this opportunity not just to be here but to uh, represent a group um, of uh, 15 leaders of uh, knowledge, implementation and leadership on their communities as well. They have been really doing great um, to, um, as leaders of SDG 1, this is the Sustainable Development Goal number one how I'm linking all of that to our work. I've been really asked to do uh, something super fast, um, dealing with the two challenges of sustainability, climate change in particular, and the opportunities coming from digital transformation in order to provide solutions from now until COP27 that is going to be hosted in Egypt in November, and COP28 that is going to be hosted here in the UAE. And um, I'm happy that many of the ideas that we are trying to explore are coming really into issues of implementation, uh, highlighting the importance of data solutions, how can we get the partnership between public and the private sector in the implementation, and as Her Excellency, the Minister just mentioned, how to deal with the challenges and opportunities as well in delivering in the last mile, as they say. So um, this is just a quick uh, teaser of the more, more work coming, um, solutions-based, focused, on ideas for implementation, and thanks to the excellent partnership that we have with the government of the UAE here. Thank Shukran. you. Thank you so much, sir. Your Excellency Waro, your final thought for the audience before we close. Um, I can safely say the government of Seychelles is very committed um, on delivering on the SDGs. However, the government alone cannot do it. We need the support of the private sector we need the support of non-government organizations and um, obviously the goodwill of our people as well. But the government alone cannot do this. Um, we will, however, carry on with the, the challenges that lay ahead and the successes, you know, we build on them. We, we share good practices. And um, so I believe the future is in all the stakeholders coming together um, to um, be able to deliver on what we've promised to the next generation. Brilliant. Yep. There's indeed no other way. Please join me in thanking our esteemed panelists.